episode of Dopey is brought to you by Oro Recovery, located in sunny Southern California, in Malibu, and somewhere in Western Los Angeles. Oro was created by Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob, with a mission to treat alcoholism and drug addiction by means of compassion and connection rather than control. They have a staff with so much experience in co-occurring mental health disorders You're going to be sane just showing up. They make sure your detox is super comfy, which is critical. A good detox is the best way to detox. They have amenities you wouldn't believe. Sound bath meditation, yoga, equine therapy, the potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge. They do it all, and most importantly, they do it well. If you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California to get better... Go to oralrecovery.com. Everybody that we know has been there only says amazing things. Check them out at oralrecovery.com. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our friends at The Phoenix. The Phoenix is an incredible nonprofit organization and even more incredible sober app and community. The Phoenix believes in having fun in sobriety. I believe in that too. The Phoenix believes that fitness can help your sobriety as well. I've come to believe that as well. The Phoenix does so many fun, sober gatherings and get-togethers. You go to thephoenix.org slash dopeypodcast. Check out the shit. They do pickleball leagues. They do CrossFit. They do hikes in nature, city walks in Central Park, where you are, there is a Phoenix outpost somewhere nearby. Go to thephoenix.org slash dopey podcast and check out the Phoenix. And it's free. 
Membership is just two days sober. So if you're two days sober, go to thephoenix.org slash dopey podcast. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our very good friends at Soberlink. We need to talk about alcohol recovery in the workplace. Soberlink is an incredible device designed to promote accountability with your boss or your family or anybody that needs you to prove you're sober. It's this little device that you blow into. It uses facial recognition technology to verify who you are. It has unique sensors to ensure that no other air sources are being used, and it sends results directly to your specified contacts. So if you need to show accountability or you want someone to show accountability to you, Soberlink is the way to go. Being in recovery from alcohol does not define the future of your family or your career. Let Soberlink help you. Learn more about Soberlink and request an exclusive $50 off promo code by visiting www.soberlink.com slash dopey. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our friends at Sober Buddy. Sober Buddy is an app that helps you stay sober. They have a sort of social media template that keeps you connected with other addicts and alcoholics in and out of recovery. They do 11 Zooms a week, and it's about the price of two very expensive coffees. They also have a free trial. Check them out at YourSoberBuddy.com. Wednesday mornings, we do a Zoom. It is very, very inspirational. It is at 9 o'clock in the morning. So if you are a Sober Buddy member or a Patreon member, you could come to the Sober Buddy Zoom. They do like 10 other Zooms a week. Check them out at YourSoberBuddy.com or on the App Store or the Google Play Store. Check out Sober Buddy. It is an incredible tool for your sober toolbox. And before we get into this week's installment of Dopey, I wanted to tell you guys about another recovery podcast. It's called Recovery in the Middle Ages. It is all about two middle-aged suburban dads and their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. Listen as they discuss current topics of interest to the recovery community, including 12-step medical research, books, movies, and they talk about their daily struggle to maintain their recovery and anonymity in the world of soccer moms and PTA meetings. If the neighbors only knew, what would they do? I don't know. Find Recovery in the Middle Ages on Apple Podcasts and wherever you get your podcasts or check them out at middleagesrecovery.com. So hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And my name is Dave, and I hope everybody is well. Today is the day after Thanksgiving. Um, I don't know when you guys are going to listen, but I've been got I've gotten accustomed to putting the show out the day the show comes out, which is not good. It's a horrible thing because I always get worried that something's going to get fucked up. I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. I hope you had good food and had a good time and felt some goddamn gratitude. I tried to be grateful all day. I made it I made it like half the day of gratitude and I ate everything and, and more. Like the highlight of Thanksgiving, all the food was really good. The highlight was like super hot 
delicious apple pie from the farm stand. Serious, serious appley apple pie with vanilla ice cream, Haagen-Dazs vanilla ice cream. I know that's not my normal thing, but it's so fucking good. Then at the same farm stand, they make a pretty high quality chocolate chip cookie. Very, very homemade, a little too hard and not appropriate for what I did. It's very thick. I took two of them. I put vanilla ice cream in between. I made a little impromptu chip, which I overdid it. And I had uh, my sponsee, Tom, come to Thanksgiving. Tom has 30 years sober, but he came to our Thanksgiving and he was shocked that I actually did stuff like that. But it was thrilling. And my new thing, I haven't talked about this. We're about to start, and I apologize to everybody for this. We're about to start a new dopey fitness challenge. I've gotten into this app called From Couch to 5K. And you remember Ethan Suple was on the show probably a bunch of months ago. I just went on his show, which is called American Glutton, and I told him that I'm doing From Couch to 5K, and he agreed to do it with me. So me and Ethan Suple are doing From Couch to 5K. I'm on week two. I actually haven't heard from him for a minute. But if you want to join us on the quest from Couch to 5K, the mission is to run a 5K eventually. I don't know when it's going to happen. And for those who've never heard the show before, Dopey is the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. It's meant to be all things drugs, addiction, and dumb shit, which includes recovery. It includes Thanksgiving. It includes Couch to 5K. And it includes... um misadventures getting drugs or adventures getting drugs or getting sober and lots of stuff happening today. Today we have a sort of old school episode. We have the great Ray Brown is finally back on the show and, uh, and the great doctor and Zinga Harrison from Eleanor health is back on the show. We'll give her a little more. We got more stuff to celebrate dopey nation. I don't think he's an OG Dopey Nation guy, but he's true blue Dopey Nation, and that is Piz from the UK. I don't think we celebrated that he got a year. He got a year together a few weeks ago. I hope I didn't celebrate it on the show, and I'm very, very grateful to Piz. He does graphics. He comes to our meetings. He worked on uh, Dopey Too Bad, which is a song. I played it on Dopey Patreon. I did a bonus Thanksgiving Patreon episode with outtakes from Nzinga and Ray Brown and Max Marshall of Among the Bros. So check that out. There's a ton of music in it. And we, we put up uh, Piz and Ben Croxton's Dopey Too Bad a few weeks ago. And Piz sent in a Thanksgiving voicemail that I forgot to put in the show. So here is Piz's gratitude. Here we go. Hold on. This is Piz from England, wishing Dave and the Dopey Nation a very happy fucksgiving. I give a fuck about all of you. I love you, and I'm grateful. Peace. That's Piz. Nice, short, and sweet. So congratulations, Piz. Thank you for everything you do. Anybody in the Dopey Nation should be sending in voicemails and emails all the time. So if you do, you get Dopey Socks. Piz has a Dopey package coming to him. Piz, send me your address again. I'm going to read 
an email I got. But before I read this email, I just want to say that this episode of Dopey is brought to you by Mountainside. Mountainside, if you didn't know, is the place that Dopey was created. It's where I met Chris. Dopey would not exist without Mountainside. And Mountainside is a pretty beautiful place to go to get sober as well. They created a Mountainside Dopey webpage, which is mountainside.com slash dopey. Check it out. It's got some like little dopey tidbits on there. You can trace a little bit of the history of the show there, which is amazing. Also, Mountainside is a really, really great recovery spot. They have a full continuum of care, which includes detox, residential, long-term residential, outpatient, and recovery coaching. They offer a huge range of holistic wellness activities, yoga. I've done all these there. Yoga, acupuncture, sound bath. I went to their potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge. I sweated just in my underpants in the in the woods in Mountainside. And music therapy. They played uh they played Max Romeo. I'm going to put on the iron shirt and chase Satan out of earth. While I did yoga. It was pretty great. I had an amazing experience at Mountainside. Me and Chris sat uh, on the porch and talked about life and love and the future of Dopey, which was amazing. If you want to get better and you're willing to go to Mountainside, which is in Connecticut, which is where we started Dopey, you go to mountainside.com slash dopey or call them at 1-888-833-4922. There's going to be lots of uh, emails and voicemails this week. This is the first one from Craig. Here, here we go. Hey, Dave. Hey, Dopey Nation. I wrote a while back about a guy named Montana who I met through the show. Update time. Montana got picked up again. He was indicted for a whole bunch of previous shit he was arrested for in the spring. They are holding him on $450,000 bond, and he's looking at 25 years. He always compared himself to Jay. Scary shit. I don't have a lot of details. I sent him another book, big book, 12 and 12 and Daily Reflections. I don't know what I can do for him, but I keep writing. I listen to Dopey every week. Some guests I really identify with. Others, like the frat guy investigator this week, not so much. But I always enjoy it, and I always look forward to it, and I always gain something from it. You're a good man, Dave. You do important work. Dopey is the first podcast I ever listened to on purpose. It's the only one I've stuck with. I'm three and a half years sober, give or take a week. I got sober right after my 47th birthday on May 27th, 2020. Someday I'll write something about how I spent the pandemic bottoming out, losing my kids temporarily, lying to a CPS-sponsored intensive outpatient counselor, lying to a therapist I was paying $90 an hour with stimulus money, listening to my dad finally have the balls to call me on my shit. He demanded I go to AA, asked me why I was wasting money on therapy, which wasn't keeping me sober when I could go to AA for free. (laughs) His love and frugality got me to a meeting. I haven't had a drink or drug since. Maybe I can try a hero dose of psilocybin someday, but for today I am sober and grateful. Thanks for what you do. Thanks to your dad, Aaron and Jay and Lowe's and all the rest of the regulars who keep the discussion going and fucking toodles for Chris. And that's Craig M. 
We got to get uh, Montana some shit, Craig, so help me figure that out, and thank you for the email. You have socks and stickers coming to you. He says, I don't really need the dopey socks from another letter that you read once, but I'd love a few stickers from my retired beer fridge. I just shipped a bunch of stuff the day before Thanksgiving, so if you're expecting something from me, there's a good chance you get it. If you don't get it by the end of the weekend, remind me what I owe you. Join Dopey Patreon, by the way. Dopey Patreon is happening. I put a bunch of shit out this week. There's some Ray Brown sing-along stuff last week. There's a new huge music thing. There's lots of stuff on Dopey Patreon, and more stuff is coming soon for Dopey Patreon. And then, of course, we do a Zoom every Wednesday morning. There's the Dopey Patreon Zoom this Saturday night. But this is a good time to tell you that this episode of Dopey is also brought to you by Discover Recovery, which is an amazing treatment program in the Pacific Northwest in Washington State. It was created by our friend Chris Paulson. He was on the show a few weeks ago. I actually just ran into a lady in my town who said they listened to Chris Paulson's story and cried and said, oh, his treatment center sounds amazing. And it is. Recovery is more than just putting an end to alcohol or drug use. It's a journey by which to undo the damage of habitual substance abuse, thereby restoring the body, mind, and soul to a state of lasting health. Discover Recovery is a perfect place to do this. They provide holistic treatment programs that help clients overcome their addiction. The model of care is focused on healing all aspects of self, mind, body, and spirit. Check them out at discoverrecovery.com. But the one I'm going to play first is from this guy. He's, I think he's Canadian, and he calls me Dopey Dave. And then he tells me, he says, I shouldn't mind being called Dopey Dave because it's like being called Baba Booey. And it's like, dude, I'm not Bob. I'm Howard. I'm not Gary. Anyway, here we go. It's from Jimmy, and he says, have a great day. I think it would. Oh, first he says that I'm a celebrity, which is nice. Then he says, you can, of course, reply with any edits or notes, and I can re-record it or I can email because I'm not the best speaker. Have a great day. P.S. See, I should have told him to redo it without saying that Dopey Dave is like Baba Booey or even without calling me Dopey Dave, but I figure what the fuck. Anyway, he says, I think, it would, I think it would be a hilarious interview and a dynamic one if you got to interview the comedian Bobby Lee. I just got done finishing the last episode with Harold Owens. And on that episode, Harold says he can get us Bobby Lee. Doesn't feel like he actually can, though. And that was one of my favorite episodes ever. I almost skipped it because I usually, I don't understand what this means. I usually title whore, and it, meaning I guess he's a whore for a good title. See, I'm a whore for a good title, too. I could use help writing better titles, I think. I usually title whore, and it didn't interest me that much, but wow, what a great storyteller. Slash interview. As an avid fan of the Stern Show, I must say you have honed and developed your interviewing skills so, so much since laying around. It's amazing how you kept the show going. Truly amazing. I thought it would be a flash in the pan or fizzle out, but it just has gotten so much stronger, and I don't think you know how important you are to a lot of listeners. Have a great one, bud. I like that. I like it when people write me bud. Have a great one, bud. P.S. I'm currently on a low dose of Suboxone and haven't used any other drugs since 2016. And that's the preamble to his voicemail. And that's Jimmy. And here is Jimmy's voicemail. 
Hey, Dopey Dave and Dopey Nation. Just kidding, Dave. I know you don't want to be called Dopey Dave, but come on. Think of it like uh, Baba Booey for Gary Delavate. You know, it's endearing. I wanted to ask and to all you guys out in Dopey Nation, if you guys have had any experience with San Francisco's Tenderloin, um, which is notorious for an open-air drug market, and it's sometimes called the Pill Hill or Pill Hill. Um, I've had some crazy experiences there. The most crazy one being the time I basically got jacked for about $500. Uh, that, that, that's what they call it out here on uh, in San Francisco, jacked. Uh, because I gave the guy his money up front. And I don't know, maybe he needed the money. I don't know. But... He took off and on this occasion did not come back with my 20 blue 30s that I had given him a lot of money for. Um, but anyway, the crazy part of the story is about six months later, I get a call from a random number I don't pick up. And then a couple of minutes later, he sends me a text. Hey, it's Charlie, which is the guy's name. Who, uh, who, who took my money, uh, and says, Hey, Charlie, I, uh, you know, I feel really bad for jacking you and, uh, I want to do the right thing. And I, at this point, I'm like, okay, this guy's, in, this guy's a confidential informant for sure. Why, like, this is so out of character and, I mean, our paths would never have crossed again. This guy would not have to do anything like this. Why would he be doing it? So I'm like, this sounds sketchy. He says, dude, what am I going to do? Like, and I'm like, I don't know. Are you like working with the cops? He's like, dude, I'm at a sober house. Here's the address. I Google the address. It's actually a sober house run by the city of San Francisco. So he's like, hey, I, I, you know, I've, I've got your pills and more. I want to get back. Here's the address. Being the drug addict I was at the time, and still am, but being an active addiction, I order an Uber, get in the Uber, go over there. I text him, hey, Charlie, I'm here. He comes out with a sweatshirt on, looking so sketchy. And I'm like, okay, I'm done. I'm going to get arrested. When you get shamed for being arrested, my whole family and friends, my life is over, my career is over. Um, but he was so sketchy. He looked so sketchy because he was at a sober house, now that I think about it, with a whole lot of hills on him. And he slipped them underneath the fence. And then I'm like, should I pick these up? Or am I going to get arrested? Just being in active addiction, just pick up the bag, put it in my pocket. I don't even look what's in the bag. But after I get back in the Uber, open it up, there's like 35 blue 30s in there. And I'm like, what the hell? And I sent him a text like, what? And he just said, I needed the money. I'm not a bad guy. I didn't mean to screw you over. Anyway. To make a long story short, because I know you hate long emails and voicemails, I just wanted to say my crazy drug story to all you out there in Dolby Nation, and uh, a baba booey to you, and uh, tools for Chris.
does this ever happen to anyone? Has this ever happened to anyone? I don't know. I'm not in a 12-step program, but is this, does, you know, giving drugs to people happen as like an amends? I don't know. Let me know what you think. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving to all y'all. Toodles. I think it's crazy. Thank you, Jimmy. I just assumed you were Canadian because you called me Dopey Dave, but you're actually Californian from San Francisco. And no, no one has ever hooked it up for me like that. I had one, I mean, I think I've told this story a hundred times. I had one old guy dealer in my neighborhood, and he was like a classic New York City dealer. I had him for a little while. His name was Chino, and he he gave me tons of extra dope, but it was just, it was total garbage dope. It's garbage. So I, I don't think he, I just think he knew he couldn't sell it, so he gave a ton for the money, and it, it barely touched me. It was garbage, as they like to say. For all the Stern fans out there, because Jimmy is obviously a big Stern fan, me and Howie just went to Jackie the Joke Man Martling's house and did a long interview with him. But I don't know what to do with it. I'm not I'm not sure if I'm going to make it a real show or a bonus show or a Patreon show. I want to see how many actual Howard Stern fans or old school Howard Stern fans or people who are just interested in Jackie Martling because he just did a documentary called The Joke Man, which is really, really sweet and fun. And and dopey legend Steve Poltz told me about Jackie's documentary, and I was like, I have I have Jackie's number. Way back in the day, Jackie called in with me and Chris. So me and Howie went out to his, his house, which is beautiful, and I loved the talk, but I'm interested if people are actually interested in an old-school Stern Show kind of talk or not. So let me know, did you guys ever have dealers make amends to you by give you by giving you extra drugs and or are you a big old school stern show fan either one of those responses please email me at dopeypodcast@gmail.com at or if you just have like a crazy dopey story crazy dopey stories uh, are the currency of the show love is the currency of recovery love is also the currency of dopey though and before we get to the lovely and brilliant Dr. Nzinga Harrison, I need to remind you guys that Dopey Podcast is also brought to you by the good people at Diamond Recovery. Diamond Recovery Group is an incredible resource for anybody who's looking to get sober, anyone looking for a long-term treatment facility, or looking for a good detox. They also have an incredible co-occurring mental health disorder spot in Florida. I met Adam, who's one of the founders of Diamond Recovery, and his brother was looking for a good treatment. And when Adam saw his brother get better, he realized that he could help a lot of people. And the thing that really impressed me about Adam is how important the clients are to him, which is just everything. They have a spot in Atlanta, and they have a spot in Florida. And if you are looking for a beautiful facility that really cares about getting you well, you should check out Diamond Recovery. One of the things I read about them that I love is that they're bringing a hospital into a hotel room. Diamond Recovery provides their patients with the utmost care and respect. They believe that every patient has a unique journey and that no two journeys are the same. 
They focus on treating the person and not the problem. Check them out at diamondrecovery.com now. And now it's time to talk with the lovely and brilliant, vivacious Dr. Nzinga Harrison. And it's the first time I got to meet her in person. Oh, shit. We talked about a lot of stuff. A lot of potentially dubious claims were made. So afterwards, she sent me this video. So I'm going to play the video now as sort of a uh, a preview, a, a forebearer to the talk. So here's the preview of Dr. Nzinga Harrison. Dopey Nation, Dr. Nzinga Harrison here. Sometimes you have to let the nation take you to school. So I was like, red and white kratom, what is this? I am all read up. I appreciate you all. This is information that I needed to know. And Dave was like, nobody believes there's fentanyl lace marijuana. Listen, there are some like onesie twosies, small number case reports. It's thought to just be a contaminant as opposed to somebody put it in there on purpose. So I've decided you are right to be skeptical. What you are do not need to be skeptical about is like uh, pressed pills, cocaine, methamphetamine, tons of laced with fentanyl. So keep yourself safe. Appreciate y'all. Bye. I'm here with the delightful Dr. Nzinga Harrison uh, in person in the in flesh. Person, Isn't IRL. that cool? It's pretty similar to not in person though, right? At the same time. I mean, we're swapping pheromones, let's be clear. Well, that's good. That's right? always that's always a good yeah, thing. Yeah, that's to swap. like super important it's for very, human connection. But. I love that. And it's interesting because Dr. Harrison and I in Zinga yes. met virtually four mm-hmm. years four ago. Years. And the backstory is kind of stupid, which is that Dr. Harrison in Zinga had Thank a you. had a podcast. What was the podcast called? In Recovery. In with Recovery Dr. Harrison. with Dr. Harrison. And the lemon the ladies of Lemonada were like, Dave, would you would you have this woman come on your uh-huh. podcast? I was like, oh, what are you asking me to do it? You know? <laughs> I don't want any doctor. Yeah, I don't want any doctor. And then and then Dr. Harrison came on the show and I was like, oh my God. I was like, we should have our own show. I was, we did think about it. We we should have. They should have done it. They're fucking whatever. I love the ladies of Lemonada. But <laughs> they too. they should have done it. And then we had a little virtual uh, love fest <laughs> for a little while. Yeah. And then you know, we kept in touch. We did a few things together. And now we're in person. And then in the flesh. And then I said to Doctor Harrison, I said, "In Zinga, would you like to wear the headphone?" No, she <laughs> said. She says. She says. Oh, do, do we, I have to wear headphones? And I say. Neither of us has to wear headphones. Well, this is the thing. That is actually what just happened. Right. And then and then I thought to myself, the only reason I wouldn't wear headphones is because I it'd be cooler if neither of us wore headphones. Mm-hmm. But I just did a thing with Margaret Cho and I decided to be cool and not wear headphones. The card filled up. I didn't hear it go dead. Oh, and I lost 15 minutes. No, not worth it. No, but the funniest part is that after I put them on, Nzinga says... Oh, I guess you'll be the cool one who's in charge. <laughs> this is what headphones are. It's all about perspective. I have a friend and he's a fentanyl. He was a fentanyl dealer uh-huh. and he's a using alcoholic and uh-huh. he's in big trouble. And uh-huh. when I record with him, he refuses to not wear the headphones because cause he likes that feeling of being in charge, being in charge, the cool one, being the cool one. See. So why? Let's just a little sidebar. Why didn't you want to be the cool one? 
Because you're cool. I enough. mean, I am the cool. <laughs> Let's be clear yes, for ma'am. the listeners. Yes, I woke up cool this morning. Yes. Um, it's your show. I'm a guest here. It's your show. So you're the cool one that's in charge and you're letting me into your space. So what's going on? You have a book coming out. I have a book coming out. It's called Unaddiction, um, Six Mind Changing Conversations That Could Save a Life. I listened to some of the podcasts. What do you think? I think it's great. No, be for real. I think it's great. Okay. I, I love Would listening to you. Would you be like, you. you know what, Nzinga? Actually, I think you should be working on a different project. <laughs> it's funny you should ask. Funny you should ask. No, I thought it was great. But talk about, un, like, should we get into unaddiction? Okay. I, we're going to really get into it because when right. my book comes out. Are you going to do an audio book? I just finished taping the audio book last weekend. Wild experience. So first of all, I had to audition. To be the voice. To be the voice of my own book. And at first I was like, don't these people know I woke up cool this morning? But then they didn't know they, did they didn't know who they, they were dealing with. They did not know. No. no, but then I was like, reading an audiobook is a skill. So I had to send in an audition tape one to two minutes reading three different passages. And how long it took me to get those three passages like audition ready. I was like, this is why they're professional voice actors. It's a grind. It's more than a, a skill. Wild. How long did it take to do the we book? We did Four seven-hour days. I think that's actually good. Like most people I hear spend forever. Really? And like there are some very famous people that I've listened to their books and in the middle they give up and they have oh, some. No, stop they have, it. They have somebody, well, they're unprofessional drug addicts, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so what is the concept behind okay. an addiction? Yeah. So we came up, the, the concept of the book is six inputs to your risk for developing addiction. And if you can understand those six inputs, then you can put together your own magic formula with like a little bit out of whatever those six buckets that makes a difference for you to get on whatever path and whatever way to recovery that is for you. So you know how we used to talk about the infinite paths of recovery? What was the idea we had, Dave? The alt-recovery movement. The alt-recovery movement. Yeah. What happened? Do you really want to know? Okay. The alt-recovery movement was a concept that mm -hmm. we liked. The name we loved it. I know the name. It's it's kind That's of an like, it's an icky story, but I'm, yeah. I don't mind telling it. Okay. There's a woman in Dopey Nation who wrote an email to me saying, "Love Dopey, you mm -hmm. saved my life. You guys are at the vanguard of the alt recovery movement." And I was like, "This is what we're calling it." Yeah. And and for a minute, I was like, "Even if the show doesn't make it, uh, we'll start the alt recovery movement." Yeah. And I'll get wealthy. <laughs> that was that was my thinking. Win win. The alt recovery movement was kind of born, and then there was a little personal schism within the Dopey Nation, mm -hmm. having nothing to do with me mm -hmm. or even the show. Mm -hmm. Just the Dopey Nation is an entity. On really, the it's people schisms it, will come. It was really a schism within the Dopey Nation Facebook group, which is a very small population of the Dopey Nation. Okay, and in the end, the woman who claimed the alt recovery movement wrote me some crazy message oh. and i realized i should never have hitched this wagon to that got phrase it, got it so i've abandoned that phrase i see and now there's an alt recovery facebook group that was a splinter group of the dopey nation dang this is very dramatical listen i still believe in the principle yes that there are an infinite number infinite. of ways out and i think an addiction might be taking the the baton and running with it yes so let's hear it okay so there are an infinite number of ways in Yes. 
which means there has to be an infinite number of ways out. And when we're talking about an infinite number of ways in, we're talking about potential trauma, totally. exposure, Period. lifestyle. Dot. You know, what, what? I mean, a million things. A million things. Uh, you watch a commercial and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I want to get fucked up. Well, it's yes, possible. but that lays on top of some the history, other right? Right, right, right? So the idea is like these six conversations are just six big buckets that those millions of permutations, combinations come out of. And so it's like we call it inherited, biological, psychological, environmental, and acquired which means at some point later in your life, biological, psychological, and environmental. And it, the book actually goes through like biologically, 40 to 60% of your risk of developing an addiction is coded in your DNA. So how do you evaluate your risk? And we teach you how to evaluate so your So give risk. us, a, what, is, what does that mean exactly? So every chronic illness, which addiction is, right? You're born with some risk of it in your DNA. And then whatever is not in your DNA is environmental risk, and that adds up to 100%. So if you look at the biological risk inherited in your DNA, like I woke up cool this morning, you like popped out the womb. Your folks were cool. <laughs> my, my risk factor, my cool DNA is like way high. But so also is my addiction DNA, to be clear, right? And so like when you pop out, your DNA has risk for addiction coded in it, has risk for high blood pressure coded in it, has risk for diabetes coded in it, has a risk for asthma coded in it. And it's all approximately the same, 40 to 60%. What does that mean exactly, the 40 to 60%? That means, so we look at what percent of that illness is coded in your DNA when you're born versus your risk of developing that illness has to do with the environment you experience when you're little and as you're growing up. And so, up to 60% of the chance you will develop an addiction is coded in your DNA. That's why you go to the doctor See, and they're my, like, what runs in your family? High blood pressure. My family diabetes. was neither cool nor addicts, uh -huh. nor alcoholics. Uh -huh. So I mean, I don't Mine know how all I got three. to be so Mine cool were all three. <laughs> and so alcoholic addicted. <laughs> all at the same time. Yeah. The environment matters. Right. Right? And so that other... 40 to 60 percent because 60 plus 40 is 140 plus 60 is 100 it's like our environment it's what did you experience as a child right. adverse experiences positive experiences right. it's what environment we talk about your zna have Z you heard of this no boom your zna the zip code you were born in the zip code 1001 is where i was born okay this is you it. can google your zna wow and your the zip code you're born in predicts what chronic conditions and your lifespan wow more than your dna who comes up with that i know public health amazing epidemiology like smart people wow so the book goes through each of those and then we made up the word unaddiction i like the word thank you so what so what does unaddiction mean to you yeah so kind of like the tagline for unaddiction the, i'll say the big concept first and then i'll give the tagline the big concept is if you can empower yourself with information about your risk. You can be intentional about your formula for recovery. I like it, I get it. And then you can also practice generational prevention. So the book the book is really for somebody who wants to be preventative in the first place or who gets a smell that something's weird or they're just curious about the subject. It's for everybody. 
all that's three what I meant. of those. That's what I meant. It's for everybody. Thank that's, you, Dave. That's what I meant. Can I, we make it clear? Yeah, it's for everybody. <laughs> Thank that's, you, Dave. That's totally what I meant. Yeah, exactly. But it literally, like, in the book, we go through and teach you how to have these conversations. So, like, how do you identify your biological risk? Here's an addiction family tree. Here's how you fill it out. How do you identify your psychological risk? Here's the aces and the pieces. Answer these questionnaires. Give yourself a score. We like go all the way through and then teach you what to do with it. So unaddiction is unlearning what we think we know about addiction that is wrong. Undoing stigma that's killing people. Uncovering the conversations we need to have. So like the premise of the book is you have to talk the talk before you can walk the walk. Right. You know the language so you can you can travel the path properly. Ooh. I like it. I think it's good. So what's going on? You're on the front lines of mm-hmm, addiction. Mm-hmm. What have you been up against lately? Oh, God, xylazine. So what? Tell me. Tell, we've never talked about xylazine on the show. Assume I don't know anything about it mm-hmm. and tell me about it. Yeah. So xylazine is like in everything, just like fentanyl is in everything. The combination of these two. So kind of like the what do you want to call it? Street name or whatever is Trank. Um, right. We, it's a big Philly thing. It's a, it's a huge Philly thing, but it's actually becoming like a huge everywhere thing. Because it's super cheap. It's super cheap. And remember when bath salts like had their big yeah, yeah, on yeah. off, but then that just made people too crazy and too wild. And everybody was like, they're turning into zombies. So that like kind of scared people off of it. It fizzled itself out. Xylazine is not fizzling itself out. So what's so dangerous about it, one, you can't really test for it. Minus a big lab in a hospital. Two, it compounds, so makes worse the respiratory depression of your opioid. And so like- the Like benzos do, but worse? But worse, exactly. So fentanyl plus this fucking xylazine, man, is um like even Narcan is having a hard time- Penetrating. Jumping over this combo to reverse people. And what, if, so if I get xylazine, it's a powder- it is. And it, what does it do? It, it, is it mimic an opiate or a benzo? Or what does it do? Um, it does mimic an opioid, even though it's not an opioid. It's kind of hitting these receptors in different ways. And so what they do is tell your brain, you don't need to breathe. So, but what's the ups, like as an addict, and, and I'll be honest. Intensifies the high. Right. As an addict, like who does this podcast, like xylazine has been out there for a mm-hmm. while and, and people send me articles and I don't read them. Like, I don't want to know. Yeah. And, and it's not even, I think it's just like the, there's trauma and tragedy yeah. and yeah. like all this death. Yeah. Like, it's just another like on switch for death. Mm-hmm. But I want to know, you're an expert. This mm-hmm. is good to, it's a great learning process for me. So like it intensifies the fentanyl, but what does it do on its own? Um, so it hits a number of different receptors, right? So when we talk about different drugs in your brain, they bind, alcohol binds the GABA receptor, a heroin binds the opioid receptor. So it binds a number of different receptors, which is why it has this compound effect. It was actually, it's called Trank because it's a downer. Right. So like Trank, but like Tranquilizer was actually a veterinary drug. Xylazine was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so... This is also part of it is these drugs come out and we're learning about these drugs just as we start seeing people die from it. So I think you're making a very fair call out. And I say, unfortunately, 
I make this point in the book, like drug use is just part of being human. There will always be another drug. The street will always be in front of us. We will always be figuring out there's something new and, and what the effects of it are. Sure. And so like the FDA just approved these fentanyl strips that we can use in the clinic, but like the you testers? can trust your drugs. Yeah. You can trust your drugs for fentanyl. You can't test it for xylazine. Not yet. Xylazine is cheap. They're cutting everything with it. It's mostly coming in from China also. I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. But it's like, it's so stupid. It's like the, the phone charger. Like as soon as you get the phone charger, you need a different phone charger. Need a different phone so charger. So we need that different tester for the yep. xylazine. Yep. And the xylazine and fentanyl is this new lethal. Killer. And are it's you seeing killer. a lot of it in, in Atlanta? So, you know, I don't really practice in Atlanta. Where are you so I live in Atlanta, but Eleanor Health is not in the state of Georgia. So we're in North Carolina, Texas, um, all over the place, Ohio, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Louisiana, Washington. So how do you do it? We actually use, it's called point of care. So you just get the results immediately right there. There is no point of care testing for xylazine. So we can't even know, just like our people who are using can't know unless you send that urine off to the lab and then it takes how long for it to come back. So we're like flying blind. You just have to assume there's fentanyl and whatever you're using because it's in everything, including marijuana, cocaine, heroin, methamphetamine. Marijuana, really? Really. See, I... I Legit, it's in everything. Where have you encountered fentanyl and marijuana? Um, so the drug screen that is positive for only fentanyl and marijuana. And I know you're like, that person is lying. They use some sort of opioid. I'm No, I'm not. That's I'm what not. your eyeballs are saying to No, me. I'm just... It's like, this is a story. This is like the Mikey Pop Rock story. Uh-huh. You know what I'm talking about? Tell me. That Mikey... <laughs> Did not. Do you know Mikey from the old life series? Mikey likes it. Right. He died from drinking Coca-Cola and eating Pop Rocks mm. and his head exploded, which didn't happen. No, it didn't. But fentanyl and weed has become that Uh huh. In, in our community, especially. So you're saying that it's real. No, it actually is real. So what the... Um... Why, though, if, if weed is legal, like everywhere, and like people are allowed to grow thousands of tons of the greatest bud ever grown and you, why would anybody be adding fentanyl to it um and who from a who are these nefarious do batters yeah who are these nefarious do batters the hypothesis i cannot state this as fact is that it brings customers back because fentanyl is addictive in a way that weed is not dopey but nation hold on dopey nation have you ever had weed with fentanyl have you ever added fentanyl to your bud is there a street name for it an exciting catchy street did name? you know because that's what my people are telling me it's like i didn't know that they had the fence that mm -hmm. their bud had fentanyl mm -hmm. it's very so concerning. they actually um they the they yeah that they actually get drugs off the street and test them and tell us like this is the percent adulteration of different types of drugs. See, this fentanyl. is what, but this is where I get. You don't believe them. I don't know. And the addicts on the show say bullshit. They uh -huh. say it's like Bigfoot. Uh huh. So tell us your what are the findings? Give us the truth, the facts. I cannot call the percentage adulteration of weed with fentanyl, but off the top of my head, the adulteration um, rate of marijuana with fentanyl, I know that has been reported. It is most certainly higher with other opioids followed by methamphetamine, followed by cocaine. But they literally take 
drugs off the street and test them and, and you, are and finding fentanyl adulteration and everything. We need to find the findings with uh, with weed. Okay. We need it. Not okay. now. One day. I'll bring it Next to Next time. Okay. I'll, find, I'll bring some citations. I'll bring some receipts. All right. Now, what about Kratom? Yeah. You dealing with that at all? Yeah, I'm dealing a lot with that, actually. <clears throat> so Kratom is um, thought to be a natural substance. It mimics opioids, so it binds the opioid receptor, so it acts like opioids. And so it was billed as a natural way to get off of opioids, which certainly using Kratom is safer than using opioids. But Kratom in itself is addictive because it's on the opioid receptor. So we're taking care of a fair number of people who have become addicted to Kratom. And it is a very difficult withdrawal. So I'm just like I'm taking people from heroin to buprenorphine, suboxone. I'm taking people from kratom to suboxone also. Yeah, it's like it's super difficult. That seems like here. I I got this thing. It's it wasn't. I'm not going to say the person's name, but I want to read it because it's interesting to me. This is like when somebody's looking through their photos on their phone and you don't know if you should be looking until they actually can, no, find the photo. Um, I don't want my eyes to get burned out by something. So I, this is a dopey nation person. And, and, and I asked how they've been and they said, not great. Relapsing. I was honest about it with my sponsor and mm -hmm. everyone. And I'm better now, but it just feels like I'm trapped in this never ending cycle. Mm -hmm. I've been quitting and relapsing for like the last seven years, mm -hmm. but I've never been honest about it before. I was hoping being honest uh, would help, but now it's just like triply embarrassing mm -hmm. when I fall down again and again. And I said, what are you using? Because I knew, I knew they were using Kratom. And they said, yeah, mostly. And this other synthetic mm -hmm. stuff, tian, what is that? Tianeptine. Tianeptine. Mm -hmm. But I just used the Kratom extract shot and they're really mm -hmm. expensive and just terrible. Mm -hmm. It feels like taking like six perks. Exactly. It's crazy, the extracts. Do you know about this tianeptine? Um, Just starting to learn more about it. So this is following Trank also. And it's actually a tricyclic antidepressant, the TCA. So definitely compounds, kind of like compounds the high we don't have good testing for it there's no good withdrawal support management from it but yeah exactly how he's describing these kratom extract shots like just feels like taking six perks that's because it's hitting the opioid receptor and the withdrawal is really just prolonged and intense for people i think that the worst thing about it is they feel as though it's better than heroin yeah, it's better it's than safe. crack and it's like how i mean i feel like i've encountered a lot of people who went from opiates to Kratom hoping to skip how Suboxone built. or something, and then they wound up on Suboxone, or even going from like a different opioid to Kratom mm -hmm. to Suboxone to mm -hmm. heroin to fentanyl. Yep. yep. You know, the, yep. the train is, is not a direct line. No, it's not a direct line. What about the claim that it's it works as a, a stimulant and an opiate? Um, how does that work? Yeah. Scientifically, it is, scientifically, substances can bind more than one receptor and can exert different actions at different receptors. So, yes, it's not. And so this is actually true. It's not the stimulant part that's causing people problems. It is the opioid receptor activity, just like this guy is describing to you. The stimulant part isn't the problem. The opioid receptor activity is the problem, but you can't get one without the other, so Kratom's a problem. But they're all saying that there's strains, that one strain is like 
like red kratom makes you feel i mean i don't know i don't know about strains of kratom so dopey nation can teach me about that no that's a whole Um, thing like like strains of weed i think it's more like the way weed is broken down into indica and sativa so Mm -hmm. there are these two types and i think thc cbd but but that's but right but the strains and I am not a scientific person, uh-huh. but the strains that I know about with weed are those great old fashioned names like Purple Haze right. or yeah. fucking Girl Scout cookies right. or whatever, right. you know, and then there's indica and there's sativa. And I think with Kratom, there's white Kratom and there's mm. red Kratom. Mm. I have and to they, learn more about this. And they affect you differently. Yeah. So you haven't had too much Kratom addiction in Eleanor? No, we've had a fair amount of Kratom addiction in Eleanor, but I just didn't know to ask this question. So I'll start asking this question. But typically, by the time people get to us, they have progressed from probably, I'm guessing, what are those strains to these extracts? Like most of the people that we're taking care of or that I have personally taken care of have been on these extracts and having a really hard time. With with our audience, like fentanyl is obviously the the thing that really changed the game in terms of addiction and and death. Yep. And then this year, kratom, it just seems like so many people are coming out of the woodwork with mm-hmm. problems mm-hmm. with it. And then ketamine seems like everybody okay. is getting so interested in ketamine, like as treatment. Mm-hmm. And then also the high, it mm-hmm. seems to be really attracting people Mm -hmm. again have you noticed that yeah definitely have noticed that we don't have very many people presenting for treatment because of ketamine and our like immediate develop urine drug screens will not show us if ketamine is there so like if you don't tell me so people aren't showing up saying i'm addicted to k no what about the people that you know that administer it as a healing situation yeah so there's um a lot of safety controls around that. And so like we have Spravato, which is actually prescription esketamine. Wow. Nasal spray. You have to administer it in the clinic. You don't send people home with it. Have you been around that at all? Mm -mm. And then you have these ketamine clinics that are doing IV ketamine. You have to be in the clinic. Those range from safe places to not at all. What have you heard about the the not ones? The not safe places, um, just like there used to be fentanyl pill mills, these are literally like ketamine, IV. You can't call it pill mill because it's IV, but as terrible, Dave, as just lines of chairs with people with IVs wearing diapers is how high they're dosing the ketamine. Really? Like what the... So there's a place to go where they're going to give me a diaper and a needle. Dave, please is that, do not is that advertise. Pla- is that please a place that I advertise. Is that a place that I can go? Do they wear clothes <laughs> or are they just naked in the diaper? Um, surgical gowns. Okay, so they're wearing cert- so they're they've This got- is horrible. What? I, I would no. rather I would rather no, if they weren't I would rather if they weren't wearing surgical <laughs> you just gowns. Want them to be naked. If it's just a room of diaper wearing ketamine diaper wearing yeah. Yeah, I would adults. Like, yeah, I would like that. No. That's some dystopian it's a, reality. that is some dystopian yeah, awful yeah, yeah, awfulness. I like but that. But there there are ketamine assisted therapy. I'm actually this is in Zynga Harrison, not in not what do they say? I do not speak on the behalf of Eleanor Health. This yes. is in Zynga Harrison. Yes. Um psychedelics make sense. Like I think it is absolutely Western to think that all these indigenous tribes that have been using psychedelics for healing forever somehow didn't know what they were doing. 
until the FDA tells us that it's cool, right? Like that's crazy talk to me. That said, there are risks. And so how do you mitigate those risks? One of those risks is addiction. So how do we use these safely for people, especially if you know you're at increased risk? Well, I like that in Zinga, Dr. Nzinga Harrison says psychedelics make sense. Yeah. I want to know what is your experience around psychedelics, personally or professionally? Oh, yeah. I don't have any personal experience. You're not vaping uh, DMT when I'm we leave? definitely not. In a diaper? <laughs> I did not bring my diapers with me on this trip. Nor no. your DMT Nor vape. my DMT vape. <laughs> I have neither. Okay. Um, I think I'm too much of a control freak. So even in college, when I smoked weed for the first time, I was like, oh, this is not for me. Too much. Yeah, like this. Mm -mm. So no experience with ritualistic ayahuasca, no. ibogaine, no, fucking. No, not personal, although definitely I know plenty of people who have done these experiences and had good experiences. I know a couple of people who didn't have good experiences. That's the other thing is like I'm not taking the risk of a bad trip. Like I'm just I'm not here for it. For oh. Nzinga. I'm not here for it for Nzinga. Um, professionally, I have colleagues who very safely do psychedelic assistant treatment or becoming experts in psychedelic treatment or doing the research behind it. But again, to me, it just comes back to like indigenous people. See, they, this is going. the interesting thing to me, right? And I have, I, I want to, I don't want to lose any of the thoughts I just had, which I will. We've had some, like, I'm really interested in psychedelic mm -hmm. treatment. I like psychedelics. I haven't taken a psychedelic in probably, I don't know, 15 years mm -hmm. or something crazy. And I'm not like itching to take one, mm -hmm. but I like the idea. Mm -hmm. What I'm really curious about, and maybe you're not the right person to ask, but I'm, I'm curious, like when people decide that they can facilitate a psychedelic experience and they're not fucking indigenous people, like where are they learning? Yeah, there are psychedelic training institutions, but what is dangerous about it is that some of them are not going anywhere to learn. They're just like, I had my own experience. It was amazing. And now I'm going to start hang my shingle and start doing this. It seems very willy nilly. It is very unregulated and willy nilly. That's why I'm like, there are safe places and there are not safe places. But like, I have a good friend, colleague who we used to work together, who is a psychiatrist. She's literally going to an institute to get certified. What's the institute? In she would have to tell us. I'm interested because yeah, we have. I'll send I have, back to you. She would have to tell me. I have a sort of friend who runs a psychedelic thing, mm -hmm. right? And I've talked about this many times to, to make myself sound cool. I think they like, and I like it when anybody wants to sponsor Dopey. It makes me feel good. They wanted to sponsor Dopey, mm -hmm. and they are a psychedelic. Mm -hmm treatment facility and i was uncomfortable mm -hmm. taking money and talking about it positively every week because i feel like if it was me i would be at risk to absolutely 100 percent. you know so like this woman facilitates ecstasy trips uh -huh. mushroom trips uh -huh. ketamine experiences mm -hmm. and i don't know i mean i should ask her what she did to get like where did she study you legitimately should ask her. And yes, you are at significantly increased risk. Oh, I can't take him. I, you know I, what I mean? Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah, that's yeah. what I want. Dopey Nation. This is a literally the reason I wrote the book. Like, this is what I tell my kids. Based on our DNA, 
your friends might be able to do a line of coke in the bathroom. Let me tell you what a line of coke leads to in our family. Right? Like, know your own risk before you make the decision whether you're going to do that line of coke or not. It's weird. In our family, before me, that wasn't a thing. Mm -hmm. And now it's a big thing. Interesting. You know what I mean? Like, my parents couldn't tell me that. Mm -hmm. But I can definitely tell Tell my daughter. And um, it's scary to tell your kid that because she's 13. Mm -hmm. She's acting. I don't know what kids are really doing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I know that she's addicted to TikTok. For sure. And social media. Oh, yeah. And she says, nobody drinks, nobody vapes, mm. nobody smokes weed. Mm. They're just all addicted to their phones. Mm-hmm. Is this possible? Yeah, this is definitely possible. Um, and I ask my kids the same question. I'm like, what do your friends think about drugs? And Your it kids has are a evolved. little older, though. Yeah, yeah. My kids are 16 and 17. But we started talking about this when they were three and four. Like, let's be clear. And it has evolved. So around 13, it was like, no way. And then last year, Nasir was a junior in high school, and one of his friends went in the hospital for an opioid overdose. No way. Yeah. And he made what it out. What was the opioid? Um, pills. And so he made it out, but he, like, he was in the hospital for a minute, and he came out still with a little bit of droop on his face, right? Of like long-term consequences. And so like that was a big change from eighth grade to junior year which is which is the highest risk time according to when kids start my my normally experimenting my teenage years the drugs were not around mm-hmm. i mean i say that and i did acid and smoked a little bit of weed but it wasn't like what it became mm-hmm. and, and like and i went to this very specific school that was pretty sheltered and, mm-hmm. and whatever and um i just wonder like does technology addiction protect them <laughs> insulate no. them somehow no, so once you tap, you know, you've been to rehab, so they gave you, I'm sure, this concept of cross-addiction. Of course. Like, if you went to a totally abstinent-based rehab, they were like, don't use any other drug because it still taps your dopamine pathway and can develop cravings for your primary drug. The social media addiction is tapping the dopamine pathway, so it's not protecting our kids from addiction to anything else. Does that become the new gateway drug? It's a good question. I mean, I fear the answer is yes. I don't have an official answer, but just knowing neurobiology, I fear the answer is yes. And like, but you know what the gateway drug is? Everybody thought the gateway drug is marijuana. The gateway drug was cigarettes when we thought it was marijuana. Now the gateway drug is vaping. Right. And pills and Xanax that you can just get out of the. Well, vaping, especially because you can go from your, your vape to your weed vape to your dmt vape so easy and i always really wanted a dmt vape never had one no i only did i did dmt like once for you no i used to really i used to be really stuck on the idea of being a pothead when i'm old (laughs) this was a goal that was a goal (laughs) and i'm starting to not have the goal revising yeah, but a, Reconsidering. D- a little DMT vape at 75 <laughs> sounds sounds like a reasonable plan. We got some interesting questions for you. Do you okay. want to hear them? Yeah. Dr. Harrison, what is your opinion on the dispensary systems in Canada and Europe? They seem to be helping, but the U.S. lags far behind when it comes to progressive drug policy. I'm 100% in support of the dispensary systems. That's um, heroin dispensary? They actually have fentanyl dispensary, I think hydromorphone, if I have it right. Hydromorphone, I thought, was the... Dilaudid. And, and that's not heroin, hydromorphone. No, it's not. So it's Dilaudid. Yeah. 
Um, so, but they have the point is full opioid agonist. So, like full, not like a suboxone, which is a partial agonist antagonist, but full opioid drugs in the machine where you can just go. So, if you buy go them. to a dispensary in Canada, you can be like, I want Dilaudid, I want heroin. You I buy want it fentanyl. out of a machine. And you can get fentanyl, Dilaudid, or heroin. I don't know. In the machine? In the machine. I support this because, one, you know what you're taking. Two, this is harm reduction. Right. Right? And so, like, just because you use drugs, we don't want you to be dead. That's Dr. Nzinga Harrison. I feel like if my family got wiped out, I might get a bus to Canada and find one of these machines. I mean. (laughs) Wow. That's, I mean. And so I totally agree with you. The U.S. lags behind because we're still very moralistic as it comes to addiction. All right. In what areas do you feel, Dr. Nzinga Harrison, the the (laughs) drug treatment industry needs to improve in order to... Oh, this is a very interesting... I was on the phone with this guy the other day, okay? He's like a a pseudo-addiction person. You know what I mean? Like He he goes on TV and talks about addictions. Okay. And he was talking about Matthew Perry. Uh-huh. And he said, the system failed Matthew Perry. And I said, I guess I'm just, I don't believe in the system. Like, I'm too rebellious. I don't sure. believe in the system. I feel like I, as a, as an addict in recovery, I feel like Matthew Perry failed Matthew Perry. Mm. If he, if it, maybe he didn't die of a mm-hmm. drug-related mm-hmm. heart attack in the hot tub. Um, what can the system do better? And how can it possibly do it better? Yeah, so the first thing is like recognizing... Um, we think of addiction treatment like five days of detox, good luck, 30 days of rehab, good luck, three weeks of IOP, good luck, like nothing in between. Addiction is a chronic illness. So like you don't go in the hospital for diabetes and then they're like, good luck when there's a donut shop on every corner, right? When you have addiction, there's a donut shop on every corner. So the first thing I think is making longitudinal support available to people. Two. But isn't that available? Isn't longitudinal AA, NA, free, fucking just go, do the steps, whatever. Sure, if that's for you. So infinite number of roads to recovery. I know, right? But But that would be the same like with diabetes saying like, can't you just, isn't Jenny, what's her name? Jenny Craig. Jenny Craig. (laughs) What's Jenny's last name? Craig. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Just available, biological, psychological, environmental. I guess like. All of it. And I, I guess I'm fortunate in that. Dave is going to fight me on everything I say, y'all. I'm not fighting. I'm not fighting at all. I'm just I'm having a point of view. Okay. I think that's good to have a point I of view. I agree with that. Um, and I know you like my point of I view. I do. My, and, and I never wanted to be a 12-step person. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. And like I'm violating traditions when I say that I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I never even fucking drank. You think I wanted to go to AA? I didn't. I just needed help. So I went because it was free yeah. and it was longitudinal support. Yeah. It was available. Yeah. And, and I didn't try everything. And I was like, I don't want to do it. I didn't want to, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to. Yeah. You know? So it's like, where does that fit in? Like, why should, why should treatment, why should the system need to do that um, in a capitalist society? Sure. I think it's a fair question. Why should there be primary care doctors? Primary care doctors offer longitudinal care and support and connection to other resources for chronic illnesses and are there when you need them. Mm -hmm. 
So like that's the answer why because when you have longitudinal support and you can practice what is longitudinal it means not five days and you think that the treatment is done like this is not pneumonia you don't get five days antibiotics and the and the illness is cured so if the treatment center if this if the treatment provided longitudinal support longitudinal mm -hmm. support over time no i get it but would that not just be an opportunity for them to shear the sheep, for them just to make crazy money off of everybody? Uh, the way the current system is reimbursed, yes. And that is a problem. Right. See, I imagine, because I agree with you. Like, I mean, deep down, I do agree with you. Mm -hmm. And I don't think, I, I think it's a shame that my answer for everybody is go to a meeting. Also, do you know somebody just told me maybe a month ago? On the podcast, on addiction podcast, I thought I needed a prescription to go to a 12-step meeting. Who said that? I don't want to call the person wrong. I think it was Phil Rutherford. Okay. Black Faces, Black Voices. I thought I needed a prescription to go to a 12-step program. I might have it wrong. Actually, it might be Derek Brown. Doesn't matter. Who is amazing. But so, like, people don't know. That's the other thing that we have to do differently is like we have to make it easy for people to understand that there's actually all these different kind of supports out there it's funny you don't because have when to the, go to a 30-day rehab with a horse on a beach and pay thirty thousand dollars right that would be equine therapy, equine and, therapy. And, and and surfing um <laughs> amenities i love to promote for I treatment mean, it's my favorite joy does help but right well i mean but i think it's interesting because one of the traditions is to not promote Right. It's very interesting. So it's like people are not knowing that they can go. And people right. are not knowing that it's accessible. People think it's just some weird churchy right. thing. Right. Exactly. And they don't think it's for them. Oh, so this was Phil Rutherford. Um, he was having trouble with drinking. And he spoke to, I can't get the whole story right. You just haven't listened to the podcast. But um, spoke to another black man. And he was like, you need to go to the rooms to AA. And Phil was like, that's not for us and he like took him to a room that was like 40 black men in recovery and that was a life-changing moment right so like people don't think it's for them people don't think they have access to it they don't know how to find it they don't know the community that it is it gets a bad rap like all these things all of these things have to change that's really interesting because we have so few black people on dopey so few people of color on dopey and there's a meme I just saw, like it was like a hundred white people and one black person mm -hmm. and the meme said like, look how diverse AA is or something, you oh. know, it's like our meetings are so diverse. It's interesting to me. And I guess it's like part of our failed alt recovery movement, but there can, I mean, there will be a new, gonna come up with another, a new iteration Yeah, because dopey recovery just doesn't have the right ring to it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just, I mean, it's kind, <clears> of, <throat> not, kind of nice. It doesn't. Okay, it can't. Right. It can't help. I was trying. I was it's trying. not. It lacks the ubiquity. It lacks the 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 ability to reach people. Dopey mm -hmm. the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit yeah. is one thing. Yeah. Dopey the recovery program is not a That's thing. That's not a thing. So I mean, I think the biggest resistance to twelve step programs are God. Yeah. You know, God scares everybody. Sure. And then also like fellowship that is free freaks people out i know that people need to pay for it i right. don't i don't know why why do you think that is i think i mean not to be like oh culturally we're so individualistic and you're suspicious of people that will give you something without expecting anything in return in 2000 but i was gonna say in 1998 in america yeah, <laughs> in 2023 in america legitimately what i think it is right that's can we unpack that a little bit 
I mean, this is part of that environmental, cultural part, which is like this pull yourself up by the bootstrap, work hard to get what you need. You should be self-sufficient. All of these things get programmed into us from the very beginning. People are not here. No one is coming to save you. Like, like all of these little tag phrases so that we have. So you get what you pay for. You get what you pay for. Like all of these little ways we condition ourselves from the beginning of life that like, People don't have your best interests at heart. You have to protect yourself from people. If they're giving you something, it's because they want something. If they're being nice because there's an ulterior motive. Then they're like weird culty church freaks as opposed to like a, a fellowship of a people that help each other. A fellowship of people that help each other. But so like basically we need to figure out a way to create something where we can get really rich because they're so scared of getting things for free. <laughs> It seems like a win-win to me. You know it seems like a great You're opportunity. Like actually great for recognizing these opportunities. I, it seems like a really good opportunity. <laughs> no? It's like, what am I doing? I still work in a deli. It's like, what am I doing? If you, you know, I, it was years ago, and I called up the lovely and vivacious and brilliant <laughs> Dr. Harrison, and I said, I said I'll something. I'll come back every week. And I said something like, fucking, let's write a book. And, get, uh-huh. and, and you were like, you were like, well... You were like, I'll vouch for your book. <laughs> you were like, I'll be an ally. Listen, do you remember? I you remember, remember that conversation? That. I do remember because yeah, yeah. I was like, Dave, I'm never writing a book. Right. So here's what's so funny. And then so the book's funny. coming out in the January. The book's coming out in January. <laughs> yes. Here's what's so funny. Jen, who is my book agent, mm-hmm. was a listener to the Last Day podcast, yeah. which I was on for Limit Auto Media, which turned into In Recovery with Dr. Harrison. She was a listener to that. She reached out to my through my website and she was like, I'm sure you already have a literary agent, but if not, I'd love to talk to you. So I called her back and I was like, I don't know why you would assume I have a literary agent because I'm never going to write a book. And she's like, we'll see about that. So how did you do it? I have an amazing collaborating author, Linya Floyd. And so Jen really thought I was going to write a book. After like a few months when I was supposed to be sending her writings and I wasn't, she was like, I don't want to offend you, but maybe you should consider a collaborating author. And I was like, I wish you had said this in the first place because this is amazing. And so we found Linya, who is just super talented, and we just spent so much time together. And she interviewed me and learned my voice, and we wrote this book together. How do you write incredible. it with her? So first you write a book proposal. So she was like, just tell me if you were going to talk to people about addiction, what sorts of things would you say? And basically, like, everything Dopey has heard, right? I was like, biological, psychological, environmental, yeah, compassion, yeah, yeah. Right, longitudinal right. people, got to have fellowship, community, blah, blah, blah. Like, spilled my guts over several hours. And so she came back and she was like, I think this is a structure of a book that fits what you told me. And I was like, what the? This is amazing. Wow, it's amazing. So we wrote a book proposal. We sold the book and we wrote the book. I still think we should start a program called Make a Lot of Money. Cult? Yeah, well, a pro- I'm in a program. <laughs> It'll be amazing. You have a cult. I have this a cult. A dopey cult. But now we need a program. Now we need a program. So when you're ready, okay, we'll do it. We'll do it. Okay, let's go to the, let's go to the last question. Last question. You're gonna like I this. I got a motor. You Sheesh. mention identifying pre-addiction through the cage <gasps> model. Somebody has listened to the Unaddiction podcast. Yes. Peace, love, and blessings. Wow, look at that. Like <laughs> This is all it takes to get peace, love, and blessings. Like identifying pre-diabetes before it becomes a late-stage disease. How can we make the CAGE model I more know. widespread so people can know sooner? 
Do you see primary doctors adding this to their patient oh assessments? Oh my God, we legit are closing out the podcast on this question because thank you. That's a visa. A visa is a beautiful, brilliant woman from Los Angeles. And she's she's just joined the Dopey team in a, uh, in a more important amazing. capacity. Amazing. Um, so thank you, Aviza. Love and miracles and blessings. <laughs> All right. You. Just you're schmaltzing totally it up. Totally agree. Cage. Cage is a four question questionnaire that you can ask yourself to vet your risk for developing addiction. Have you ever felt you should cut back? Have you ever gotten annoyed when somebody else mentioned? Oh, the C it to is you? cut back. The A C is, is cut back. All right, I'm going. The with A you. is annoyed. G, have you ever felt guilty Always. about your use? Mm-hmm. E, have you ever needed an eye opener? So first thing in the morning. E is eye opener. E is. I don't know if opener. I like that one that much. Did you come up with this? <laughs> I did not come up with this. Who came this up is, with it? This is a psychometrically validated scientific scale with tons of research behind it. One yes. 79% of the time that person has addiction. So I'm going to ignore that I is is weird for E. But keep That's, going. What are you talking about? I is not. I you know. I, is, I, e, I know, but it sounds like I. The letter I. <laughs> it's confusing. But please keep going. Have you ever needed an E-Y-E opener? Yes. Does that help? Yeah. So that's how you know. Did you ever think you need to cut back? Mm-hmm. Have you ever been annoyed? When somebody else mentioned to you that, are you thinking about? This is good. I like this. Mm-hmm. G was guilty. Get Every back. Day you no said. guilty. And then E is do you need the eye opener? An E Y E opener. So what was the question? Do you so see how can we get this more people using it? One, mind changing conversation that could save a life. Like tell everybody, talk about it with your friends. Two, we get taught this in medical school. And then nobody uses it. So yes, every single primary care doctor should be doing a cage on everybody because even if you're in the 21%, first of all, the more questions you answer yes, the more likely you have addiction. Even if you answer one and you're in the 21% that does not meet diagnostic criteria for addiction, you are at risk. So how do you start practicing prevention before the addiction comes? So Avisa, my answer. How do you start? How do you do that? Six, inherited and acquired risk factors. Know what they are and get your formula in place. These answers are in the book, right? But so like legitimately, talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. Dr. Harrison in Zynga, swapping pheromones with you has been, Boom, has been huge. Amazing. I, and I hate it. that you have to go. I know. And um, I think that this, the weirdest thing about this conversation is it's the first time that I really felt like there's a reason that people should know about 12 step at yeah. all. Like I've never really felt that. And then I go, I was there this morning for God's sake. Yeah. And to sit with you is a joy. I wish you were around more often, I know. but you'll be back. I will. That's there was one more question that someone sent. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. All right. What would it look like if government decriminalized drugs and administered the drugs or if drugs could be regulated and sold like marijuana is now? But for clean, harder drugs, I thought I, oh, we already did that question. We didn't do that question. The question we did was about dispensaries. But what I'll say again, break it down. Singular doctor. opinion of Dr. Nzinga Harrison representing no institution other than the institution of my own opinion. All drugs should be legal or all drugs should be illegal. Why? And all drugs cannot be illegal because what happens is that the legal repercussions make the drugs more damaging and devastating for people's lives. 
And we don't need to add that on top of the devastation biologically that drugs can bring on their own. So you're saying legalize. Legalize. You know what drug kills the most people in this country every year? Alcohol. Cigarettes Cigarettes and alcohol. Cigarettes and alcohol. Okay. So like we are perfectly fine with legalizing drugs. We just put some moral dilemma on the harder drugs. Legalize it all. What's the morality? The morality is that you deserve those consequences. You're a criminal because you have addiction. But what's the morality? And it's it's basically some old puritanical belief that if you take this substance, you lack morality, which is why it's illegal. That's right. Exactly. And and the criminal behaviors that can come with addiction don't help undermine that story. Right. But what we know is if we decriminalize addiction and create decrease the stigma so people can actually say, I think I might be getting addicted, create pathways for people to get to support instead of to prison. That's actually how you turn it around. So thank you, listener, that asked that question. It was a Twitter guy. He had thank a- you, Twitter guy. Thank you, Dr. Nzing Harrison. It's a joy. I loved it. All right. That was the lovely and vivacious Dr. Nzing Harrison. It really is a joy. I told Linda that uh, Dr. Harrison was coming on, and Linda said, I love her. I, I sent the the interview to Amelia, uh, our editor and co-producer, and she said, oh, I love her. So people love Dr. Nzing Harrison. Do you guys love Dr. Nzing Harrison? Send an email, send a voicemail to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear your thoughts on The Good Doctor. And I want to get to some more stuff. Oh, yeah. There's a woman in the Dopey Nation. And I, I don't know how. She she got into a romance with some other sober guy, and they both like Dopey. And now they have this Dopey romance happening. And are any of you guys in a successful Dopey romance? I want to hear about some successful or unsuccessful. I bet you there's a lot of, like, weird pseudo-internet dating by way of dopey so if you have any stories about that please send them in to dopeypodcast at gmail.com so this is justin and martina martina is one of my favorite dopes total regular on wednesdays lays it down her and her i don't know if justin is her boyfriend but there's a her romantic interest there there they've been cozying up with dopey and Aaron Carr, not in a threesome kind of way, but they're reading her book. And it was Aaron's birthday last week. So let's give a big birthday shout out to uh, elite equestrian, strung out author Aaron Carr. And here's here's Martina and Justin. Hey, Dave. Hi, Dave. <laughs> Hi, Dopey Nation. It's Martina. And Justin. We are coming to you from a mountaintop in North Carolina. We are camping in the Shenandoah Mountains. And uh, we're reading Strung Out, Erin Carr's book. And today's her birthday. Today is her birthday. Happy birthday, Erin Carr. Um, We were listening to Dopey on our ride here and loved all of the Thanksgiving gratitude messages. And we just wanted to say that we're really grateful for the Dopey Nation and Mm -hmm. for the Dopey podcast, right? That's right. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. And toodles for Chris. Fucking toodles for Chris. So who loves the romance and who's sickened by couples cozying up and listening to Dopey? Some some woman told me at DopeyCon that she like made out to her wife while listening to the show. 
and that I my voice was the romance that that sparked the romance. So who does it nauseate? Who likes the romance? Who likes it when there's couples together in one Zoom window? And who hates it? I can't stand it. It's like just get on your own screen. You don't need to. Sh- we don't need to see your love on Zoom. Be by yourself. We're all by ourselves here. Or am I just a jerk? I don't know. I have. Uh, we have Ray Brown coming up, but I want to play another dopey story from the great Ben Croxton, who's been a who's an administrator on the Dopey Podcast Facebook group. If you're not a member of the Dopey Podcast Facebook group, please join. If you're not a member of Dopey Nation, please join. Also, if you are interested in being an intern for Dopey, let me know. Send in an email to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. I need some help. We need a lot of help. Or if you wanted to buy Dopey merch, there's a 20 to 50% off all Dopey merch available at dopeypodcast.com. I think I'm going to put up the beanies and all the shit I have on Instagram in a second, too. But for now, an administrator of the Dopey Podcast group and co-writer of the famed Dopey anthem, Dopey Too Bad, Ben Croxton. Hey, Dave. Hey, Dopey Nation. This is Ben Croxton from Birmingham, Alabama. Got a little bit of a dopey story. I was... uh I was working in Anniston, Alabama today, and it reminded me of the time I went to detox in Anniston. Anniston is about an hour east of Birmingham. It's a fucking shithole. Don't ever go there if you can help it. But the reha- the detox was actually kind of good, um, but I wasn't having it. I was like, fuck this. I want to get some dope. Let's get the fuck out of here. So I leave with no real plan. I'm uh, wandering the streets. All I've got is my suitcase and a guitar that I've had since I was like 15 years old. So, i am got no money, and like I said, I have no plans, so I'm just going to go sell my guitar real quick. It's not even worth anything, but I thought maybe I could get a few bucks and I could score some heroin. Um, so I found a guy, and I was like, hey, do you want to buy a guitar? And, and he was like, sure, how much you want for it? And I said, just give me 40 bucks. He gives me the money, and then I guess he takes pity on me and he hands me back the guitar and he says, good luck, buddy. Just move on. And so then, fucking right, I got the money. So now I got to find some fucking dope. But first, for some reason, I was like, I got to get some needles. Because, like, what am I going to do with dope if I don't have any needles? So I fucking start walking the three miles to a Walmart pharmacy where I can fucking get some. And a guy just picks me up on the side of the road and he's like, hey, you need a ride? Where are you headed? And I'm like, fucking A, I'm going to Walmart. And he drops me off. I was very uh, optimistic because I bought a hundred pack of needles. So now it's getting late. It's dark. It's starting to get cold. And I decide I'm going to get a cab. And I'm just going to ask the cabbie to take me to fucking the worst part of Anniston, Alabama. Not hard to do in that shithole. But I'm at the gas station trying to use the phone because I don't have any fucking quarters. And uh, there's no pay phones, of course. And... This uh, this guy's like, well, I'm headed that way. I can give you a ride. And so, like, we're on our way there, and uh, we get in a conversation. And I'm like, yeah, uh, so where's, like, the worst place? Like, what would you say the most dangerous place in Anderson? And he's like, oh, 15th Street. I said, okay, well, let's go there. And I start talking about it, and he's like, yeah, I smoke a lot of crack. And I'm like, ah, I don't really want any crack. I want some heroin, you know? And he's like, 
well, good luck. And he drops me off in this very, very bad part of town. And uh, there's nothing really to do. And I'm exhausted. I've been walking around this fucking city for hours. And I slept on a front porch on a concrete abandoned house for a little while. And then there was a church next door in a church van. And I broke into the church van. And, and I, I hung out in it for a little bit until daylight. Then I found me some nice homeless people. And uh, I asked one of them if they could score me any heroin. Well, the guy took 20 bucks of the 40 I had and went down the street real quick. And then came back and said, surprise, surprise, he had been ripped off. There was nothing he could do. So I'm like, fuck this town. I need to get back to Birmingham where fucking things make sense. You can't throw a rock in fucking Birmingham without hitting a dope dealer. So I'm off to the fucking bus station. I, I, get, a, I get a friend of mine to send me the money for a bus ticket. I'm waiting for the bus, and there's this guy there, and somehow we start talking, and I asked him if he had any fucking, knew where to get any dope. He's like, I've got some fucking meth. I love meth. Goofballs were my thing, you know? So I get the meth, uh, and all I had was my guitar. So I traded him my fucking guitar that I had since I was 15 for like not even half a gram of fucking meth. I go in the bathroom, I'm getting ready to fucking, uh, to do this shit, and this guy comes in and gets, it's three stalls, and he gets in the stall to, to, to the side of me, I'm in the middle stall, and I have shit veins, dude, and I'm trying to get everything fucking fixed up, and this guy next to me just starts fucking, like, stomping his feet, and, uh, and coughing, and, like, clearing his throat, and I'm like, what the fuck is up with this guy? So, I don't know, he, he does whatever he's doing and fucking leaves, and then I'm sitting there trying to fucking find a vein. And this other guy comes in and goes into the stall next to me. And he just strikes up a conversation about, like, how traveling is fucking lonely. And that, like, he had made a connection with this guy uh, on the bus. And they were supposed to meet when they got there in the bathroom. And I can only assume it was the guy that was right next to me just a few minutes ago. And, uh... And again, he's talking about how fucking lonely he is. And he asked me if I'm ever lonely. And I'm just like, oh, sometimes, you know, fuck, I'm just trying to fucking hit a vein. And uh, so he's like, would you uh, would you want any company? And I'm like, no, nah, man, I'm good, dude. Like, I'm not judging, bro. It's just, uh, it's not really my thing. And then, like, I, he fucking leaves. I found a vein. I ended up on a bus back to Birmingham. We're fucking... Things make sense, and uh, and and I scored dope within like fucking five minutes, like God intended, you know. And uh, yeah, I went back to re uh, detox not too long after that. And there's more to this fucking story. It was a wild weekend, but um, yeah, stay strong, dopey nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. Thank you, Ben. First of all. Is the music distracting? First of all, what is that music? Is it like slightly stupid? What is that music? It's weird instrumental. New. It sounds to me like new instrumental reggae music. I wasn't sure if it was distracting or not. I decided it wasn't. I decided it was good for the recording. What did you guys think? Secondly, what happened when you had the dude next to you in the in the in the stall? What was that like? And then what? Give us the next installment of the story, if you can.
Dopey Nation, send in a story. What did you think of Ben's story? Dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Ben, you have socks coming to you. Uh, let me know your address and you get the socks. And lots of people always ask me, why isn't Ray on the show more? And there's lots of reasons why Ray isn't on the show more. But Ray is on the show now. Ray is on Patreon all the time. Sign up for Patreon, www patreon.com slash dopey podcast and you can there's a lot of ray in there and there's a lot of ray coming up right now if you guys are after stickers though i'm about to give full transparency i used to have sticker mules sticker mule not sticker mules do all my stickers and then i found out about customstickers.com and customstickers.com does the work faster and cheaper and it's just as good as Sticker Mule. Go to customstickers.com slash dopey20. Or no, no, no. Go to customstickers.com and use the code dopey20 and save 20% off. If you want stickers made, if you want, they have a million stickers if you just want stickers. But go to customstickers.com. Make yourself a custom sticker. Make a dopey sticker. It's always a trailblazing move. Use the code dopey20. If you want me to pay for your custom dopey sticker, I might do that. Send it to me at dopeypodcast at gmail.com and then send it to custom stickers or just make some stickers, get some stickers, customstickers.com. We love them. And we love Ray Brown. Ray Brown did, of course, the Home Sweet Heroin song at the front, which I'm just in love with. I listen to that for fun. He, you know. What does he say? I've said it. I said it on. Uh, I said it on Patreon. How's it go? Um, you know I'm a junkie. I love shooting dope, getting high all the time. Will I ever stop? Nope. I love needles, black tar, and abscesses filled with pus. Wearing makeup and shooting dope is so goddamn glamorous. I love podcasts. One day I'll go on one. That dopey podcast because I love heroin. And I told this story before. I don't know if I told it on the show. When Nikki Six finally agreed to come on Dopey, I was like getting ready to do the show and Susan was in a gymnastics class. So I text Ray, Ray, could you do a, a spoof on home uh, on a Motley Crue song? And I swear to God, in five minutes he sends back home sweet heroin. And I was so worried that Nikki Six or his people would listen that they'd get upset. So I got angry at Ray, and Ray got angry at me, and I wound up using Br'er Brian's Dopey Dopey Home Sweet Home. And uh, and months later, I uncovered Home Sweet Heroin. It became my favorite song. The Motley Crue people were crazy. They were upset that I, I said Motley Crue in writing without using the little two dots over the O and the U. Anyway, enough about this. You could, I'm sure you've heard this story before. And after we had recorded this after we sat around playing some songs pretty badly. A lot of that stuff is going on Patreon. There'll be extra me and Ray singing songs on Patreon. And just full, you know, everyone says full disclosure, full transparency. The full story is I talked to Ray many, many, many days a week in the morning, early, and we tell each other really funny and stupid stories and I always think, oh, that should go on the show. And I always forget about it. 
Except this week, I, we tell a story that I always wanted to tell on the show, which is about why I hate hats, or a look at why I hate hats. Anyway, enough, enough, enough. Here's, here's Ray. So I'm sitting in the house with Ray Brown. He's never heard In Excesses, Never Tears Apart, which I don't believe. And we just did... Uh, you know, it's better if you like rehearse stuff before you play it. We did a horrible version of uh, Stuck Inside a Mobile. Because it was the first time we With the ever Memphis done. Blues again. We're going to do another song but on video this time. You, but this is going to be... Uh, you may not have heard of this, but there's this thing called rehearsal. I'm not into that kind of stuff. I'm a real like... <laughs> You're like first take, best take. Yeah, I'm a first take kind of guy. Um, so what's up with you, Ray? Oh, I just told my nephew that you wanted to get me a job at Cass's as the Major D. Major D, they pronounce the it. Major D. He said, Raytra D. Raytra D. <laughs> well, listen, Ray, Ray is looking to be employed, but he refuses. It's like it's like a, it's like an alcoholic who refuses to go to a meeting. That's Ray Brown in Cats. <laughs> why would you say what? Nothing. What did I say? <laughs> no, I was like, why would you peg me as something like that? An alcoholic that doesn't want to go to a meeting. Because that's what you are. You're, you're, <laughs> yeah. Ray is not only unwilling to work at Cats's, he's also unwilling, unwilling to go to, to a work. meeting and unwilling <laughs> to work. <laughs> I'm going through my savings. Well, obviously you worked selling, at some point. Sell, I'm selling stocks. Ray's trying to coast until his his uh, his husband and mother are dead. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be a long coast. Oh man, it's gonna I don't... be ten years. So you just had a, a, a privy moment of listening to me doing my other job, and what did you get from it? Um, that the. Uh... I was half listening. Podcaster by day, caterer by right, night. Right, Um Or is it caterer by day, podcaster by night? A place that you're going just wants everybody to look really nice because they're filming it. Yes. And then the guy, the second guy you talked to, you were telling him about the job tomorrow or yes. whatever it is. So yeah. you got nothing out of those conversations. Uh, were you impressed that I know what's going on? No. I, you know, I was thinking, I never thought I would know the inner workings of Katz's Delicatessen when I went in there in 1980 and like, what the fuck is this place? Well, Ray said he needs a job. And I said, well, I know a place you can work. And Ray said, where? And I said, Katz's. <laughs> and Ray said, Ray said, I'm not good enough <laughs> to work at Katz's. Well, I, I like, lack the major have skills. Have you ever gone into like a really crazy fast paced place and you're like, how do these people do it? That's me. I went into that place when I was 17 and I didn't know how to do anything and you just do it. By the end of the day, you'll do it. Well, I don't think I'm too old. So you don't want to work at Kansas? I, I don't know. I would look at it. Do you want to be the new video editor for Dopey? No. Do you want to be the new semi-paid intern? I, I think I want to go back to painting apartments. You don't have the hips for it. You know what? I haven't worked in... 35 i haven't had a job in 35 years i'm just not cut out for a job i've discovered remember when i want i asked you to start a painting i'm a rebel i'm a rebel dude. you're like a child <laughs> i'm a child <laughs> um do you you remember when when we first started hanging out and i was like we should start a painting business yes and hire all these people yes you know why it was because i had just gotten sober 
and I met this guy who was did painter, that. Yeah, and he made a fortune. Oh yeah, I know. I I did it all wrong. I shouldn't have been actually painting. I should have been going from job to job, checking on the guys, and then going back home. Do you have any dopey stories you want to tell? Because I've been, I've been thinking of dopey stories that I haven't ever told. I have tons of dopey stories, but I was thinking this morning. I was at a meeting years ago with my sponsor, and I raised my hand. Yes. Or maybe it was a round robin, and I'm like, what are these fucking miracles going to start? I didn't say it like that, but I was like- You were drunk. I was drunk. <laughs> I'm like, what are these fucking miracles? No, I was at the meeting. I'm like, you know, everybody talks about these miracles, and my life is still fucked up, and it's been a few years, and people were like, well, just give it time, and that was- like seven years ago at this point and just today i was like you know what i think this it took a while for me because i'm like i said to somebody recently like my bills are all paid i'm never at a loss for money i'm never scrambling the rent is always paid and the lights are always on and that wasn't always the case and like my credit cards i don't have any debt and all that shit but didn't we start this conversation with you scrambling to get a job yes but then i'm it took me seven years to like start to repair the damage of me. This is what I would do. I would take my drawer that I kept my keys and my wallet and all like anything. You come home, you're drunk and you throw the mail, you throw everything in that drawer and then you dump that drawer into a shopping bag and you tie it up and you throw it into the back of your closet. And then like six months later, you do the same thing. So I have now, and I haven't talked to you about this. I've had like 10 of these time capsule bags at the back of my closet wow. for years. And they're were you big. thinking that they were time capsule bags that one day you'll it's reflect on your drunken escapades? Like, no, no. I was just but I've gone through all of them and I've shredded them and I've dealt with it and I put everything in a box that's like a photograph or a, a card. Anything I want to keep, which is in a tiny box. So I've gone through everything in my apartment. There's nothing else to be examined. And I'm like, I think I'm finally cleaned up my life the 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 hurricane that was around me for all those years which the main part about it i didn't do terrible things but i did dump everything into a like a grocery bag and tie it up and throw it in the back of my closet did you find anything interesting i found like checks i found a check for three hundred dollars that was like five years old i just deposited it it was nice. from the government. Nice. It was from New York State. I got a letter from the government yes. the other day. <laughs> and it said it said uh, deposit within 180 days and it was like 2018 but it went in i opened and read it they said they was yeah. suckers i found collection agencies are like dear mr brown we're gonna go into your bank account and withdraw your money and i never even opened the letter <laughs> well it's just like chuck d's song i got a letter from the government, government. the other day i opened and read it they said they were suckers they wanted me for the army or whatever. Yeah. Picture me giving a damn. I said, never. <laughs> Wait, that's you. Did you sign up for the draft? What draft? No, so, nobody wait. wants me. They didn't have a I'm draft? I'm flat-footed, big-nosed no, Jew, out of shape. When you were 18? Out of work. No, there's to... no draft. People were getting paid. I was in the draft. You're old. I'm, I'm, a, young, I'm a young old man. You're an older <laughs> When you old were 13 years old, did you think... In five years, I'm going to have to go to Vietnam, so I'm going to like go to Canada or Sweden or figure out what I'm going to do. No, when I was 13, I was trying to get out of learning my Haftorah portion. <laughs> when I was 13, I was being shamed by, by my father for not being able to read Hebrew. <laughs> Wait, what was the theme of your bar mitzvah? We didn't have a theme. We didn't <laughs> was, have a theme. It was Star Wars? No, we didn't have a theme. We had 
they they found they like went into some it wasn't the internet yeah. obviously they 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 talked to the the Jewy the cheesiest Jew on yeah. Long Island and they said I need a DJ for my son's thirteenth birthday yeah. party and they said oh I know Captain Bar Mitzvah <laughs> I'll hook it up and the cheesiest guys showed up and I was so embarrassed were there girls trying to get the other guys to dance like paid girls no you know those right no they're like hot 19 year old girls and they go up to the 13 year old boys and ask them to dance yeah we didn't have that we had two two of the corniest long island djs with the the mustache you see all these people with mustaches now yeah it's a thing it's a thing yeah do you know i'm thinking of doing it (laughs) can you imagine (laughs) i don't know because i wouldn't have this white beard oh just have the handlebar and dye it no, I'm not. No, because this is kind of brown. This is still the same. It's right. gray. I know. But look what's going to happen. I know, but, but but still I could have a new a couple months where I look much younger. You know what? Do like side Do the birds? Dominican thing? No. Uh, oh, the, do the chops? The chops. No, the mutton chops and then no. a handlebar. No, that's and you're ridiculous. you're like, oh, you're so young. Oh, you're a gay biker. That'd be <laughs> ridiculous. You know, in the 80s, I said I want to revive the clone and I wore like dingo boots and I had a handlebar mustache. What's the clone? Like the gay clone. You know, oh, like, yeah, yeah. like uh, um, I literally. Freddie. Yeah, Freddie Mercury. I literally can. What, what What? clone? Freddie Mercury, his eventual look was the clone. It was like tight jeans, mustache, right, right, shaved right, hair. Right, right. I, I consider all the time, I'm like, maybe I should have just do the mustache. I, I think about doing the mustache. Let's do it now. It would be ridiculous. Let's do it. Then I think about the goatee, and it's like, have you ever had the goatee? I've had just this. And yeah. ha- when, when? What year? 20 years ago. Can a straight guy <laughs> like me have a goatee? Are you straight? What would it mean? <laughs> it would mean you're gay. <laughs> no, it would mean you're like. Have what a would goatee? it mean? It's like. It's, 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 it's doesn't absurd. mean anything. It's absurd. For, Van Dyke? It's absurd for a heterosexual man, <laughs> not, you know, like, like me to not. Like, I need. I'm all or nothing. There is no in between. When's the last time you didn't have a beard? Two thousand and twelve. Wow. So yeah, because when I met you, you didn't have a beard. Two thousand and twelve. I think you should do it. Do what? Just Han- the, the mustache, handlebar. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I think you should do the mutton chops. I had the chops <laughs> in my in my. I didn't realize what a nerd I was and in then, my ska days. And then, like the, the spiders from Mars, like Woody, like Diet Blue. No, I can't do that. <laughs> but um, I like that the, the even though you're not uh, in the program, you've decided that the promises have come true for Look you. Look at my apartment. I'm just like, oh my! It's like I wish you could tell the story of cleaning, what happened to this with that guy. Uh, cleaning out the cobwebs. Can you tell that story? No, I can't. Can we call him something else? No. Can we call him Anthony? <laughs> no, but I'm cleaning the, co- the drunken cobwebs out of my out of the back See, of my closet. This is why this is why Ray got phased out of Toby because he refuses to come with the goods. I, I'll tell you anything. I won't talk about that. Please. <laughs> All right, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you a very. It's a moment. Oh, you wanted me to a dopey story. I don't know. I, no, no, just forget. Yeah, it. I, I, come on. So so you can get upset at me later. Yeah, <laughs> that's an investment and a resentment. <laughs> now I'm going to tell you a story, and I don't know if I ever. It's not a very good story. It's just a very important moment in my life. And I was in Los Angeles and I was smoking weed and maybe I was smoking meth too, probably. And uh, 
I got a job. It was like the story of me relapsing in, in Los Angeles was I was in downtown LA working on a film set and a homeless guy came up to me and said, can I have a cigarette? And I said, you can have two if, if you, you tell me where I can get heroin. Whoa. And he said, it's across the street. Right. <laughs> and I said, great. <laughs> and then the next day I remember, I don't know if you know Los Angeles that well. Yeah. There's I was a, just in downtown LA. There's uh, Chinatown. I was just looking at Chinatown yesterday. It was right. Like Madame Wong's and Hong Kong Garden, Hong Kong Low. It's right across this little bridge to downtown. And yeah. and I was driving there. I remember this so well. And I went into an ATM in downtown LA and I said, I'm going to go cop today. Yeah. How much you get? 300? No, I got like 60 bucks. And I was like, this is going to be. I, I felt like a kid that was going to have mil like milk and cookies. Yeah. And I drove and I took my 60 bucks and I, or maybe I, took, I don't remember, it was something like that. And I got the pequete and I, and I went home and it was like, it, it, you think there's some innocence to it. I don't even know what to say, but it's like, I've been thinking about, I remember standing in that, the foyer of the bank machine, you know, knowing that this was going to be the beginning. What was that like 10 years for you? In Five Los Angeles? Years? Yeah, once this started. Well, how long was the run? It was like... till here. No, it was like uh, I came back in two... It was like six years. Were you sober when you came back? No, I was off of heroin and methadone, but I was still... I was smoking pot. Yeah. And I wasn't taking... I stopped taking benzos. I stopped taking heroin. And I stopped taking methadone, and I was smoking weed. And I just smoked weed until my mother died. And then after my mother died, I went into her closet mm -hmm. and she had all these pills and yeah. I found a bottle of Percocet and I probably took the whole bottle. Yeah. And I remember uh, there was a, I was working at Katz's and I got hit on by this traveling nurse yeah. who invited me over and I took the bottle, I took like a handful of Percocet and I got in the cab and then I was like, or maybe I left the Percocets at, at, yeah. at, at where I was living at my friend's mom's house. And I get in the cab and I start going to her house. And she's like, are you coming over? And I was like, yeah. I was like, wait a second. I said, go, <laughs> I said to the driver, go back. I want to yeah. get the Percocets. Yeah. So I went back and I took the Percocets and I, and I got really high. Like I, it hit me like very yeah. quickly in the cab. And it reminded me of this scene from a movie. And then I went over there. It was like such a weird life. Wait, wait did she, was she doing them also? No. Jaded, faded, junkie nurse? No, she was a young, vibrant Pleasant traveling. Company? She was a southern traveling nurse. Oh. Yes. It was a thing. She was yeah. like in New York traveling, taking no, care of people. No, I know. Huh. Anyway. You know, when my dad died, they came in so fast to get rid of that those drugs, which he never took. Well, the, the thing about the, my mom's pills was... I grabbed the bottle of Percocets. Mm -hmm. I was like, yes, I found I found the good stuff, yeah. thinking that. And then the next day, my sister went to clean out my mother's closet, yeah. and she found another bottle of Percocets. And she said, David, I'm so glad you didn't take the oh, Percocets. <laughs> You're like, like mm. wow. Well, I'm I, zipping I, my half mouth. Half of me was like, fuck, I missed yeah. the other yeah. bottle of Percocets. And yeah. half of me was like, wow, I really got away with, with that. Yeah. There was another, I mean, I don't know why. Like I write down Chinatown in my yeah. dopey notes every week. Did you ever go to Madame Wong's in Hong Kong? Low? No, but you know that place. It looks like Disneyland, the fake Chinatown. Where it's? Um, I'll show it to you on the map. It's in. It's like 
two block area, but it's all these like whimsical like folly buildings. You know, they're, they're architectural. No, follies. but that, that, that's where that's yeah, where so that's where it was. Yeah, that's where it was. Oh wow! So I mean, I don't know why that is heavy in my head. I had another, but you know, those times when you're like when you get some Percocets or you fall into something, and it's just like it lasts however many days, and then it's gone. You know, it's like at, when you got that in your hand, you're like everything is going to be good now. And then like a few days or a week later, it's just like, well, that was the end of that. With LA, because I had been a heroin addict here for so long, I knew that day that it, I was going to do this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I knew that I was going to, sp- I had money in the bank. Yeah. That's the weirdest feeling when you know, you just feel that in your right here, I'm pointing to my heart. Like you just know, like there's nothing is going to stop. Once you get that picture and that thing in your mind, it's hard to turn it around. Right. You make it's like Lou Reed line. I made a big decision. Yeah. Right. It's like that's it. <laughs> it's fucked up. I know. Um, there was something else I wanted to talk about, but I don't remember. Uh, I'm trying to think of how dopey dope dopey Dave da 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 da. I'm glad you uh I'm glad uh, I've changed my mind. I'm gonna release it. What do you got? I'm gonna put it on Spotify tonight. Dopey dopey. Dopey. Dopey, dopey, dopey. That's what the guy wrote. Dopey Dave, please heal my heart. Is that what you wrote? Dopey Dave, please heal my heart. I'm so tired. See, I always like that he just says, shiny, shiny. I always thought that was funny. All right, I'm going to read an email. You ready? Okay. Hey, Dave. Long time listener, first time writer, and Patreon member from North Carolina. As I listened to the special sneak peek of Chrissy and Jamie, it brought back Early memories of my opioid addiction. Like many before converting to IV heroin, I was popping 10 milligram perks and oxys like they were Tic Tacs, averaging around 15 to 20 per day before finding cheaper alternatives. I found the easiest way to fool doctors was to fake kidney stones. All I had to do was put on my best acting face before walking into the office and have a hidden cut on one of my hands. Once they told me, How do you turn kidney stones into blood? Once they told me to go pee in the cup, pop the scab, and swirl a tiny amount of blood in with the pee, it worked like a charm. Oh, my God. Where did you learn that? I have many more war stories throughout my 12 years of addiction. Now that I've broken the seal, I hope to share more in the future. As of today, and with the help of methadone maintenance, I've completely turned my life around. It's been two and a half years since I last shot up, and no, I couldn't have done it without you, Chris, and the Dopey Nation. I wish Ray would consider 69ing <laughs> with me and doing some cosplay. Oh, my okay. God. Since I first tuned in over six years ago, I knew your podcast was destined for greatness. It's been awesome seeing listening to the show grow and mature over the years. Keep up the good work. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. Best blessings from Scott. North Carolina, Scott. I feel like I've read that story, Wait, but I don't remember where. Read this. P.S. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's okay to use my name on the show if my email makes the cut. Also, my first pair of dopey socks you sent over two years ago has a hole. They're really quality and would love a new pair when you re-up. All right, Scott. I don't I think I don't know if I sent you a new pair. I don't know if I read that. This is the thing. What? And this is a horrible, horrible truth of me, my organization, yes. and the dopey podcast. You see, I have this document, okay? The document is called Dopey Notes. New, right? I put every it's email. Huge. I put every it's email huge. into this document, <laughs> and I write the no ads down. Order at all, and I have no idea what I've yeah. read or what I haven't read. Wow. I need help. 
Dopey Nation, if any of you want to be an intern on the Dopey Show, send in an email to yeah. dopeypodcast at gmail.com. I need help. That Yeah, you need, um, I need some help. type of management. <laughs> yes. I need help. I need serious help. Um, you need somebody to like make all this, put all this in order. Ray, do you want to do it? No. You I'll, can't do it. I had a job once where they put me in a conference room with a box full of receipts. And they're like, make some sense out of that. And I did. So you want to do this? No. All right. I wanted to tell Ray, when I was, it's a dumb story about why I resent people who wear hats. <laughs> yeah, I always wondered, because I know you hate people with hats. Like Sean Lennon wears that stupid. Well, a friend of mine wore a similar who? hat. Who? Oh, Ray's <laughs> true love wore this dumb fucking bowler hat. Was it a? What it's like a brim, brim hat. And yeah, it's all, the John Lennon hat. And all the, yeah, they all think they're so fucking cool. Fucking Sean Lennon, he came to my job wearing that fucking hat. And I'm like, I know that guy from somewhere. I'm like, oh, fuck it, Sean Lennon. <laughs> See, why would you wear your dad's hat walking around the city? Do you think it was that same hat? No, well, possibly. <laughs> Imagine but, if it was. But like, you kind of look like your dad. Somebody shot your dad on the street. I would hide. I would, you'd never know who I was. Well, I told you that story of when I was walking back, like I was yeah. walking back from jail or something uh, and down lower Manhattan. And then I see Sean Lennon and I'm like, hey, Stalk. And I'm like, yeah. hey, man. Yeah. He's like, oh, hello. And I'm like, I'm like, like, I was like, it's kind of funny. When I was young, I used to go to your building and right. say I was your friend and ask them if they would let me up to see right. you. Do you ever read Catcher in the Rye? <laughs> But I said that to Sean Lennon. When I was a kid, yeah. I used to go to your house and tell the doorman I was your friend. Yeah. And he was like, and he was like oh. I was I'll like, tell the security detail. I was like, I was like, I have a podcast. Do you want to come on? <laughs> He's like, let me take your picture. <laughs> let me take your picture and your fingerprints, please. <laughs> Can you give me a stool sample? I had a friend that was following Yoko through the park, and he was like, maybe I shouldn't follow her. Well, it's a thing. I but mean, she had two security guards with her. I never felt weird about John Lennon was so John Lennon. Well, he was famous during that time for like just talking with everyone on the street and just going to cafes and stuff. But that's not what I'm saying. What? John Lennon is one of the only people that I never resented for wearing stupid hats. Oh, oh. And he but, wore uh, a lot of stupid hats. Yeah, all the time. He wore that stupid Bob Dylan hat. Yeah. I didn't resent Bob Dylan for wearing that stupid hat either. Uh, and then he wore the stupid brim hat yeah. in... um. Oh, and in the like the let it be yeah, photo shoot yeah the last photo shoot and then at George's house and then he wore that stupid kind of New York City Rocky hat yeah the which, Bob Gruen hat which I have no problem with that why do you call it the Bob Gruen because Bob Gruen took that photo right. I have no problem with John wearing any of those hats right because it's John Lennon and and in Park City everyone wears the, the oh. fucking brim hats yeah. like they think they're fucking cowboys the fedoras no they, they the don't they're, they're just like the john lennon hat oh and god like, and they're like rich rich women with the fancy hats those hats them. are expensive so i don't really I, I mean park city utah you could probably wear a hat because it's cowboy country whatever mm -hmm. sean lennon wore a stupid like sea captain leather gay leather hat for years. Yeah. And Is he I, bald or going bald? I don't know. But he went on Mark Marin's show and I wrote Mark Marin. I was like, dude, did, and I, me and Marin weren't really friendly. Yeah. Not that we're really friendly now. But I wrote. You're like, Is he wearing a hat? No, Knock it off him. No, I said, I said, did you make fun of his stupid hat? <laughs> and he wrote, he wrote, please don't disrespect my guests. Oh. 
And I wrote back, I think our relationship is in the toilet. And he wrote back, we don't have a relationship. Anyway, it all reminds me of this guy years ago in LA at the methadone clinic. Mm -hmm. There was a guy at the methadone clinic. I don't remember his name. He looked just like uh, the kid in... um, Dazed and confused, yeah. like the, with the straight hair, yeah. like the thirteen-year-old who's gonna be cool, but him as an adult. Okay? okay, he had sleeves, like tattoo sleeves with like koi fish on yeah. them, and he was like really sweet. He walked with a cane. He was younger than me, and I was in my early thirties, and he was younger than me, and he walked with a cane. He walked with a cane, like as an affectation. No, like for real. Like he he had been beaten down bad. Oh. He was a heroin addict. He had been sexually assaulted that he confided in me. And he was a sick guitar player. Mm. Like me and him played and we were gonna start a band. And we would play my songs and he was fucking great. Yeah. And he could sing. And I was like, wow. I was like, this is gonna be it. He was great looking, like super like sweet and mm-hmm. whatever. And he I'm invited be famous. Me. Yeah. And he invited me over to his house in Hollywood, yeah. like to get high or something. So we went over to his house and I look on the wall and I see a picture of him and he's wearing the stupid hat. (laughs) (laughs) He's wearing the leather pilot's hat. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. It's like the hat that Axl Rose wore in the beginning. And I was like, and I I ended the band right there. I never said anything to him. I never talked to him again. (laughs) And it was all because of that hat. (laughs) Hats in rock. (laughs) Can you, I mean, like, what do you think that means? It's, I don't know, It's, but it's something you can't get past. Do you think it's just I'm extremely judgmental? I mean, I don't judge people just in general life usually for that kind of stuff, but sometimes it's like a attraction thing of like if, you, if you're an attractive person and then you do this, then it's, it lessens it's less it, attractive. less attractive. You know, my, there's but a- hats can come off, so. Well, did I tell you the story about- uh- It's things that are not removable that are more- Problem. I never even saw him wear the hat. I was at you his saw house a photo. and I saw a picture of him one time in the, 90s. In the past at a party. Yeah, yeah. Somebody put a hat on you and took a picture. And I ended the band right there. That was it. <laughs> Thank I was like, sorry. God. Sorry. You might have been wearing a hat if that band had continued. I, mean, I don't know. You'd have a big brim hat. Oh, You'd be red. walking around going, all, imagine all the people. All I want is to wear a stupid hat, too. That's the most <laughs> fucked up part. All I want is to wear like a perfect old man hat yeah you know what i mean i wear it and like i'm like that? and i'm like who do i think i am wearing a stupid hat like this i think i need to be 20 years older to wear a hat like that yeah and yeah this old point, men can get away with a lot but do you think that when i'm older i could wear a hat with impunity for myself yeah, yeah. not for the world i could wear a hat right now and nobody would say anything i had this young guy stop me on the street to tell me he liked my hat yesterday that's not my point my point is this. I could wear that hat today yeah. and somebody could say, oh, yeah. cool hat. But I would think, who do I think I am right. wearing? That's why I don't wear the hat. Because in my head, I'm like, who do I think I am that I can <laughs> wear a hat? Like right. So at what point do you think my insanity will be lifted and I'll be free to wear whatever hat I want? You never know. It might come any moment. Do you think it'll happen? Yes. Another interesting thing, right? I always liked wearing a Carhartt ski hat yeah you know it reminded me of the 90s Uh, also the fit is really good 
But then I would be like, I don't want to put the Carhartt logo in the front because then people think I'm trying to. You're, right, you're a Carhartt man. So I wear the Carhartt in the back. Yeah, so no, cool because so, I'm cool. Yeah, no, because I don't want people to be like, because I don't this? even know it's yeah, a Carhartt. Because yeah. because I don't want people, I don't want to be like, oh, look at him. He thinks right. he's cool because he's wearing. So I put the Carhartt in the back. And then recently I decided, you know what? I don't even need to wear a Carhartt hat. And it's and, cooler to not wear one. No, no, it's not even that. Um, this is how crazy I am. Yeah. I like the fit of the Carhartt hat. And I like the little Carhartt tag, but I don't want anyone to see me wearing it because <laughs> oh then they're going to think, I think I'm so cool. I, I thought I was crazy. Okay. <laughs> me, Nora, Linda, I think, I don't know. I think Susan might have been a baby, went to Woodstock. Yeah. And Nora, it was, Nora was probably Woodstock nine. Woodstock two or three? Woodstock the town. <laughs> and every store is like a hippie. I know. I've been there store. many times. And so we're in the store and Nora... I guess like it was before Nora really had an identity and she yeah. wasn't really sure how she wanted to be. And, she's like, and she, sees, she sees like she wants to buy a Grateful Dead winter hat, yeah. beanie, whatever mm -hmm. you want to call it. So it's got like the, the steely embroidered in it and she like wears it. Like she wore it for like, I don't know, a year or something. Yeah. And then I found it. Whenever she doesn't want anything, she just puts it in my office. <laughs> so I started to wear it. But of course, I wasn't going to put the steely in the front. I put yeah. the steely in the back. Yeah. And I, and I felt cool that I had an embroidered steal your face <laughs> thing on it. But I didn't want anyone to think I felt cool. And then I lost it. And then today I was like, fuck it. And there's this guy who, um, he used to sponsor our show. He makes coffee called uh, Brain Washed Coffee. And I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to wear a brainwashed <laughs> coffee hat. But do you think I wear the brainwashed coffee logo in the front or the back? In the back. Of course. In because the back. that's cooler. I, I, I gave I, I had a dopey hat for you. I gave it to somebody else and he wore it in the front. I'm like, you idiot. <laughs> I when I, I had a dopey hat on this morning because you cold in my apartment. I had the bird hat on. I put the logo here. On the side. Because side. that's only like you care a little bit. I guess. I'm not gonna put it here on my forehead. So you look like three thir like like forty five degrees or the whole like, ninety? Forty five. That's the real cool move. It's like wearing the the hat cockeye. <laughs> So, all right. I think this is a very interesting hat exploration. What was I going to say? Something about that. I can't remember. I don't know, but I really appreciate this talk, Ray. You're going to catch your train now? Yeah, it's time to go. Okay, bye. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. Don't do drugs. And fucking toodles for Chris. In a motel room in West Virginia, you told me about DopeyCon. Then we drove up to Quincy's house and the rest is history, oh, but history's unwritten. By the time I got to DopeyCon, there was a hundred people strong. They told me to wait in the game room and I was freaking out because I thought they were going to put me in rehab. And I thought, what the fuck have I signed up for? But then Cormac did the sound. The whole night opened up and revealed itself, and everybody there just got it. When we sang good so bad, I almost cried. The hugeness and the smallness, oh, cat weasel to cats is to hear tonight. I looked over at you, and the Iowa crew. I said to Alan, it's a miracle Dave made it through. 
was able From a kitchen table On a sofa with Chris Oh, a Nissan cilantro Through the fish tank bubbles The crickets in the yard Laughing at the tales of coming down so hard I was coming down too True love wasn't true All oh, the super vodka in the world couldn't help So I turned to you, all of you And hey Dave, I've never licked a toilet seat I've never eaten a pubic hair My sponsor doesn't approve of any of this What the fuck? I don't care Oh, so bless up for the Listen, fucking toodles for Chris Up there in heaven looking down at all of this Pray for us all Cause this world can be scary And please God, please let Dave out of the deli This is how a church gets made this is how the bricks get laid This is how a fucking dopey con song gets played I, uh, I'm gonna play this song but only because uh, I think it's gonna make me look a little bit very tired I'm just gonna start Bye. 
I'm sure you can relate to the calling your dad. <laughs> Dude, it's just really good. Like, where did you write? What did you write? That? I like the lyrics. I hope they can hear it.